Good morning. This is Maggie Jones in Natural Wonders. A new book today called Hammerstrom Stories, edited and annotated by Elva Hammerstrom Paulson, cover illustration by Lita Judge, and is she a great illustrator, and she's Elva's daughter. And the book is written by people who loved and admired the Hammerstroms, with selections written by the Hammerstroms. On the back cover are a number of quotes by people who contributed to this book, and one quote by Diane Delarand, friend, Gaboon, and the person whose idea it was to collect these stories. She's also a great illustrator. She wrote, Hammy the Rudder, Fron the Wind, While On Sailed the Ship. If the Hammerstroms are new to you, know that they were students of Aldo Leopold, born in the early part of the 1900s and became renowned for their work in the Central Sands with helping to save the prairie chicken, the sharp-tailed grouse, and many raptors. They devoted their lives to fieldwork and biology. This book, Hammerstrom Stories, is just packed with funny stories and recollections and observations by people of all ages who encountered the Hammerstroms, worked with them for years, knew them well. I'm going to read today the part written by Dale Golick. He starts as a 14-year-old gaboon. I'll tell you more about him after you hear his story. The book I'm reading was published by R. Schneider Publishers in Stevens Point, second edition, the copyright 2002 and 2013, by Elva Hammerstrom Paulson, their daughter. Through the eyes of a junior sub-gaboon, Dale Golick. Anticipation is what I remember most about leaving my parents for the first time to participate as a junior sub-gaboon in Franz Harrier project. I was only 14, and my mind was swirling with thoughts that the next few weeks at the Hammerstrom's house would be full of some mysterious mix of science, people, and animals. It was with those thoughts that I left for Plainfield, Wisconsin, and began a journey that would have as great an influence on my personal growth as it did my professional views. A few weeks turned into 20 years, the impression that Fran and Hammy left on anyone they met was mentionable. Their influence on a boy developing into a scientist was unforgettable. The people I met over the next few years were nothing like those a boy from a modest town in central Wisconsin had ever imagined meeting. They were, with few exceptions, interesting and thoughtful. They had accents. They had stories. They came from around the world. Some dressed shabbily, others were more formal. Some brought falcons, some brought art, others brought music. Some spent the night fiercely debating scientific theories or critiquing scholarly writings. They measured museum skins and compared notes on capturing hawks. I noticed that all these people came and went in surroundings rich with beauty. The walls of the Hammerstrom house were drenched with original paintings and sketches. Cupboards were filled with exquisite antique china and silver. 
a great horned owl that nature had adorned with remarkable feather structure and rich brown barring on its tail would fly from the porch to the dining room chair, landing inches from my head. I began to develop an appreciation for beauty in many forms. I savored the convergence of this unusual mix of people, animals, art, and free thought, but it seemed at first to be out of place in the rather primitive farmhouse, lacking plumbing and exterior paint. This culture did not emerge from the hallways of academia or the upper crust of our modern society. It did not fit any model of science and culture that I learned of in school or saw in my community. Fran and Hammy structured their entire lives around their priorities, and popular things simply weren't as important as ideas, people, art, and nature. Their example served as a powerful role model as I grew older. My children feel their influence today. There was always a sense in the Hammerstrom household that something bigger was underway than two people simply going about their work. My favorite quote of Franz is, if you are the kind of person who wakes up each morning wanting to make the world a better place, it gives a certain zest to everything you do. Fran and Hammy showed me at a young age that a person could make a difference in the world by doing something as unassuming as studying wild animals. The thought of embarking on a profession that I enjoyed and being able to make a difference in the world was irresistible. It cemented in my mind the professional path I would follow for the next 25 years. There is a finer point to this career path than simply conducting wildlife research, and it is a debate that ranges within the wildlife profession today. Fran and Hammy believed strongly that researchers could, in fact, had a responsibility to be an advocate for wildlife. They were not shy about challenging powerful groups if those groups threaten the interest of the Hammerstrom's constituents, even at risk of personal injury. The fact that their peers so often recognized their science and bestowed awards upon them clearly showed that Fran and Hamby were able to conduct objective research while being advocates. They were also comfortable in implementing conservation efforts on the ground this trait is all too rare today when many researchers find the implementation of their results to be messy and unappealing as compared to conducting the research. While in graduate school, I came to realize that an academic appointment was the typical career path for someone wanting to make a career in wildlife research. Fran quickly challenged me on this assertion and asked why I was preferring teaching to implementing my research. Once again, she made me question the status quo in favor of a broader set of options. That conversation played a role in my acceptance years later of a research position at a management agency. There, I had to routinely play the role of wildlife advocate, often in confrontational circumstances. However, I also have drawn immense satisfaction from seeing my research results implemented and producing tangible benefits to wildlife. Fran and Hammy's devotion to wildlife could also be measured by their work ethic. Neither Fran nor Hammy saw the need to take time off for weekends or vacations because they so enjoyed and were devoted to their work. There were no exceptions to putting work before recreation. 
during their 50-year wedding anniversary, a once-in-a-lifetime party that lasted for several days, I became caught up in a late-night performance by a group of musicians. Testing Fran, I casually remarked that it would be very tough to get up in a few hours to conduct the morning Harrier ob observations. Fran quickly changed demeanor and suggested I take alternate actions to ensure that I could wake on time. In fact, I did wake on time and with the reminder that the needs of wildlife come before my own. One of the defining characteristics of Fran and Hammy's approach to wildlife research was that it included an intimate knowledge of animals as individuals. They were puzzled by people who thought it was possible to understand wildlife only with the use of sophisticated mathematical approaches. They also were quick to judge a researcher by their ability in the field. Fraun was perceptive enough to know how in tune a particular researcher was with an animal. I have carried that appreciation for the field component of wildlife research into my own career. However, it is here that I have departed slightly from the Hammerstrom approach. New quantitative tools are now available, and they have become an essential part of any contemporary research study, unlike those of an earlier time. What is true today is that research results cannot be published in top scientific journals without a rigorous quantitative analysis. That fact and years of graduate school have not dulled my appreciation for field skills. They have just given me the realization that our profession has changed to require more than meticulously collected data. Today I try to be just as quick to size up a prospective employee by their field abilities and I'm very mindful of the fallacy of using sophisticated quantitative tools without the biological understanding that Fran and Hammy knew were so essential. I was fortunate to have viewed the Hammerstroms through the lens of youth. Their influence worked its way into the path of my personal growth as much as it shaped my professional self. In the end, any assessment of my abilities as a scientist and my career as a person owes much to my time with Fran and Hammy, and for that I am grateful. And that's the end of Dale Golick's piece in this book, Hammerstrom Stories, Recollections of the Life of Hammy and Fran Hammerstrom. It's fun to see what we can learn about Dr. Dale Golick. Dr. Dale Golick is Heart Research Institute Chair for Conservation and Biodiversity at Texas A&M Corpus Christi and a professor in the Department of Life Sciences. His research focuses on water bird ecology and conservation, wetland and intertidal ecosystems, restoration ecology, and the use of birds in aquatic ecosystem management He's published over 80 papers, many focused on how hydrologic processes in coastal and freshwater ecosystems control wading bird populations. He and his students have developed heron, stork, and ibis habitat models that link bird populations to the hydrologic management and restoration of the Everglades of Florida. And that's just a small part about this young 14-year-old and what he became.
Imagine how many people have gone out into the world after spending time with the Hammerstroms and seeing what two lives can do in the world. This is Maggie Jones and Natural Wonders. Thank you for listening.